Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Future Food Weekly Live. Um, I want to do a couple of quick announcements. One, if you enjoy this podcast, I we would Steve and I would really appreciate if you could either rate it on Apple Podcasts, share it um, across social media, or recommend it to someone who you think could get something out of it. That would be awesome. So just a quick plug, because as much we obviously love doing this and our audience has been growing steadily, but it would also be nice. We should, we should probably ask more of you if we can be so bold. I also want to shout out to Brink, um, the global early stage VCN accelerator. Um, we They have supported Green Queen for many years, especially in our future food newsletter and um, we just renewed uh, um, another term of support from them. So just big shout out to them. They do amazing work. They have a great accelerator that is um, climate and includes food as a vertical as well. So any early stage company should definitely give them uh, a look, um, especially if you're looking for kind of mentorship and guidance um, before you're going to do a bigger round. So just a quick shout out, share this podcast and thank you, Brink. All right, diving into the news. How are you, Steve, this week? I am good. I'm good. Busy, busy as always. And I, I, I like the skipping over me first. Let's talk to our, our listeners. Let's say, hey, you guys could be doing more, right? Let's share this podcast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> exactly. No, sometimes you, you, I mean, I am so terrible at this, especially for someone in media, but sometimes you've just got to, just got to plug your work. So, plug away. I like it. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's actually kind of a busy week again in content. In fact, um, I was talking to our reporter who, and he does, you know, the quick bites column and it was um, three times the amount of news um, that we had last week. So it's just been a bonanza of announcements new launches, new debuts. I mean, lots of like campaigns because of either Veganuary in January or or Valentine's Day coming up or Chinese New Year or what have you. I mean, there's just so much going on. So um, yeah, it's, it's great to see this action. I definitely have to say that overall, I feel 2024 has started out a lot more active than I thought it would. So that's, that's yeah, that's my take. I don't know if you feel the same way. No, I, I agree. And and it's it's exciting, honestly, because not that, that last year was bad or anything like that, but it was um I mean we talked about it. It was a it was a tougher year for all VC investing, et cetera, but a very tough year for the sustainable food space and um a lot of resetting companies going under and investors not investing. So um there's the news uh being really active here, but not just active, but a lot of positives happening. Uh, it just it has a more uplifting feeling for what 2024 looks like it could become. So um, um, I, I like how it's shaping up so far. Good. Yeah, me too. Our big story this week is actually interesting because it's a it's kind of a sector that hasn't had a lot of news in a really long time. And it's kind of this like all the, there, there's not that many companies working in this space, but it's it's basically companies working to find animal-free alternatives to breast milk and breast milk components. And there's only very few companies in this space. And to be honest, there hasn't been some, some major announcements or breakthroughs in, in a while now, at least like 
good 12 to 18 months. And so Yali Bio, Bio um, a precision fermentation company out of California is saying that they have created the world's first breast milk fat made from yeast. Um, so that's really interesting um, because fat is one of the essential components for infant health. And um, it's what allows the fat globules is what allows um, babies when they're drinking their mother's milk to absorb the other nutrients. Um, as you know, you know, especially in the early phase, the baby's brain is really developing a lot and it needs fat as well, as well as protein and other things. Um, and a lot of the other companies in the space focused a lot more on the proteins. Um, you know, one, one thing about precision fermentation that you, that we've, we've all become very familiar with is that a lot of times you're focusing on one of the elements. It's harder to do kind of all of it to get the full match of of something like a breast milk, which is so rich in many different ingredients and 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 parts, um, and you know the company says that they are able. This could really enable infant formulas to to match the nutrition that breast milk provides, um, because according that what they're saying is today there's no kind of price well priced version of. OPO, which is the fat that they're making, oleic, palmitic, oleic, um, that is available to infant formula producers. And so a lot of times, a lot of infant formulas, they use things like vegetable oils or seed oils, right? Which are controversial for their, as we've talked about before, for other reasons. So very interesting. And what we've seen in this space a lot is that a lot of the other companies who said they were doing uh, breast milk have a lot of them have pivoted to some to something called lactoferrin, which is a protein that it can be used for infant formulas, although it's a long regulatory process. And, and so a lot of them are targeting also adult nutrition, like senior nutrition. Um, and it, yeah, so that's so that's that's the story of the week that that's really interesting that we we chose to kind of put a focus on. Um, you, you know very well in, in the in the US, there was a big infant formula scandal um, 18 months ago. There's still, you know, reverberative effects from that. And at the end of the day, we're, we're never gonna run out of the need to find ways to offer babies and mothers, you know, the healthiest, safest options for feeding newborns. Yeah, I mean, this one's, this is so interesting on, on so many levels. Honestly, this is, this is, um, I can't get over the fact that you said reverberative, reverberating <laughs> in a different way. I'd like the second you said that my brain shut down on everything you were talking about. And I'm just like, <laughs> I can't say that word. So that's, that's a quick sidebar, but anyway, um, this, so Yali bio, <laughs> the actual important thing that we're talking about, um, it's so interesting on multiple levels. So you hit on a lot of them, but one is just breast milk, infant nutrition. I was just talking with someone yesterday about why we think that that dairy, at least on the milk side, has been um, so much more quickly adopted than meats or cheeses. I know that's dairy, but that's not, not a liquid um, or eggs, for instance. And a lot of it comes down to there's an actual need that's pushing consumers in that direction beyond sustainability, um, beyond their, their ethics or anything like that. And it's for, for some people, they're lactose intolerant or they just, they really can't handle dairy the way that they 
would want to. So this is an alternative. Infant nutrition, I think, is that on steroids. Like this is like the need for better breast milk alternatives is just so massive. And yes, there's a huge supply chain reasons that you, that you hit on. But honestly, like I think you were a little kind when you talked about the nutrition in current formulas. I think you said there's controversies on what's in there. Infant, infant formulas today are horrible. They're crap. They really are just not good. And, and like, that's not what you want to be feeding your babies. And unfortunately, it's not an option to breastfeed for so many mothers. And for them to be forced to be using things that they definitely would not want to give to their babies, it's just not what we, where we should be at as a food system. So seeing something like this is really exciting because as you mentioned, there's companies going for lactoferrin and other approaches and other proteins. I have not seen anyone doing fats. Um, and so I, I, I love it. And then the only other thing I'd say is my, my, my investor brain kicked on because I talked to Yaldi Bio a while back um, and I really like the founder. I really like the approach. And it just, this is such a good example of you don't know exactly where a company is going to head uh, in the future, because when I talked to them, they were not focused on this. They were probably doing some R&D in the background, but they had a breakthrough, obviously. And when you have a breakthrough, then the company pivots to take advantage of that new opportunity. And I'm excited for them and I'm excited for the space. Um, but it just shows how both fun and difficult it is to, to determine the potential value of a startup early on, because you really don't know where, where it's going to go down the road. But this is super cool. Yeah, it's super cool. And hopefully, I don't want to say it revitalizes the infant breast milk sector, but it just, it did feel for a while, like there just wasn't much happening except on lactoferrin. Um, we haven't heard from some of the early pioneers in this space, like Biomilk and, and Wilk in a while. So, uh, and those are actually using cellular agriculture. So different, different, um, different strategy, but actually what also you've seen a lot in the space, like companies starting out saying they were going to use cell-based technology and then pivoting to precision fermentation. So that, that's also been, been something that's, that's been happening. So anyway, um, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. And, and as you said, like, yeah, maybe I was being kind. I, as a mom, I, I'm very careful when I talk about um, breast milk and infant milk because it can feel very, um, it can just feel very kind of loaded. Um, and it's a very sensitive topic for moms in the same way that breastfeeding is a very sensitive topic. And I always err on the side of, you know, understanding that everyone is pursuing their own journey and everyone is doing the best they can um, for their child and their baby and, and making choices that are as conducive to their family needs as possible. And so I, I try to be very kind of under, you know, not, not too pointed about these topics. And I also don't hundred percent, but I'm, I don't want to super pointed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's fair. But I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with on you on the mother side, but I'll be, I'll be pointed to the, the people producing the current, current breast milk, like, or not breast milk, current um, infant formula. You could do better. Is that really what I, you want to feed babies? And, and I have to say, I don't live in the United States um, and I have access to multiple countries formulas. And I would have to say that the U.S. formulas are 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 definitely like the least 
the least attractive from a point of view of like quality and and nutrition. You, it's horrendous. Europe it's horrendous. has much better formulas, and there's actually a fantastic formula out of Australia that is entirely plant based and made using pea and rice protein. I I know that team. They are they are great. It's much better nutritional label for babies. They 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 sent me some for our our second uh, baby that we had. Um, and they also sent a bunch of like koala bears and kangaroo stuffies. So that was very nice of them. But, but yeah, I mean, those are the companies that I love to see because they're really, they're addressing a major need and it's a genuine need that people just don't always have the option to avoid. And, and it's, it's great, but yeah, no pointed, pointed direct criticism towards the current formula makers in the u.s you guys are doing a horrible job <laughs> we, we don't have time we don't have time to get into it but there are it is a rabbit hole when you start getting into breast i mean sorry infant formula uh the history of the industry the players the corruption the regulatory issues it is a real rabbit hole of, of scary stuff um, that is very underreported in the press because it is such a politicized, you know, and polarizing and sensitive issue. So that is something, <laughs> maybe something for Green Pinkett to take on one day, but there is a lot to uncover in infant milk that is very scary and just, yeah, makes you realize how how hard it is for parents, which we already know. Um, and I am looking forward, I, I have a stash of Sprout Organic, the Australian plant-based for my little, little bunny coming soon. And um, I, I'm having, I have it as a backup. And as I think I've said this before on the podcast, I did not have any options last time. Um, and so when I was in the hospital, I did not have milk the first two nights. <clears throat> um, my, from, I wanted to breastfeed and my milk wasn't ready. And I was forced to use a formula that I did not want to use, which was a dairy formula, um, because there was there were no options. Whereas now I'm bringing my own plant based formula, so that if that happens again, they they can use the plant based one. So it, it's it's not easy. No, definitely not easy. So that's why this type of innovation in the space is so important, and um, the, it's so valuable to have these types of companies. And also for what it's worth. Uh, the Sprout Organic team, uh, they were the ones who taught my kids what a koala bear was because they had never seen one or thought of one. So them sending over that stuffed animal, we got to talk about koala bears. That's really nice. <laughs> um, that's cute. Koala bears are actually in real life much scarier than they seem in a stuffed animal. <laughs> same with, same with um, kangaroos. But anyway, that's a conversation for another for another time. Um, yeah, we won't get into that that crazy phobia that we now know that you have. <laughs> no, I I really don't. But I'm going to tell you that in person, <laughs> much more aggressive than how they are represented in media. Anyway, um, <laughs> next story this week that has caught your eye. Yeah, yeah. The next one is um, I really thought the Dunkin' Donuts one was really interesting. So there's in in this week's newsletter, there's a, a piece that you guys put out on on the Dunkin' lawsuit around the the surcharge, the extra cost that Dunkin' Donuts has for non-dairy milk. So whether it's almond milk or oat milk, et cetera, 
they, they, they charge extra for it. And there's now a, a lawsuit for, for $5 million uh, coming from the Americans or, or using the Americans with Disability Act as the premise for it. And the idea is that if someone has an intolerance to milk, which we kind of we, we kind of hit on a little bit before, but if they have that intolerance, then that is, um, I guess, under the Americans with Disability Act, that's considered a disability. And so the surcharge is discriminatory against people with that intolerance. And it's, it's this is not a finished, um, there's no verdict yet. We don't know what this is going to turn into, but I, I just find it so interesting. I never would have thought about that idea, that angle. Like, obviously everyone knows that there's people with lactose intolerance and it, it, it hits different communities in different ways. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's really frustrating that there's a surcharge for, um, for non-dairy milks at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, et cetera. But I just never thought of it as something like that would be the approach to, to say that this is discriminatory, uh, with people with that disability. Right. So, I think it's probably like, it feels like it has legs. Like I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but like we're not at a point now in the industry where these milks, the non-dairy milks are that much more expensive um, than, than conventional milks. Sometimes they're, they're not at all. So it does feel like a, there's no reason to have that anymore. And I just, I, I'm hopeful that it'll make it, that surcharge go away. But what do you think of this? Was it like, am I just like, too hopeful what do I think I'm the editor so I decided that we were going to cover this so I clearly think it is super important I I think it's fascinating I think that so one thing that really stands out in that article is there's a figure in there that's quoted of 60 percent of the world is lactose intolerant and to me that that really kind of cinched the deal on on uncovering this so first of all this is just like fascinating if you're into kind of legal politics and like policy right like using the disabilities act is a completely different is is look looking at things from a completely different point of view um than how we usually look at kind of plant-based versus um dairy milk right which is usually like around dietary choice or lifestyle or like not lifestyle choice but like if you're a vegan you you have a a different kind of world philosophy. And so you shouldn't, you could argue that you shouldn't be discriminated against for that, but this is coming at it from your health and something you, you cannot choose, right? Like lactose intolerance is something you cannot choose, which I think is where it has legs, right? And this is going to come down to like, is lactose intolerance a disability in a way? Um, so this is fascinating. Um, I spoke to someone about this yesterday, someone I really respect and, and we had a debate and it was interesting they did not agree with this at all and felt like this was taking things too far and then well what didn't they agree with was it they didn't agree that it's a disability or did they not agree that this is like the route that they should be taking they feel like this is a business issue and like if a business needs to like charge more for plant-based milk because plant-based milk costs more and they need to pass that on to their customers well like that's just that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And I, my pushback was one, what plant-based milk are they choosing? Because there are plenty, there are now enough plant-based milks out there that are, that are on par with dairy milk. It doesn't have to be Oatly or like a branded thing. 
yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like I agree with that. I like there there are there's there's plant there's price parity with a lot of milks and and I, 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 my first instinct is well that's an interesting point. Like if from a business standpoint, if they have to pay more for it, the cost is more than they could pass that cost on to the consumer. But like also when it comes to disabilities, which is the uh, the argument here, like. I can only speak for things that I know in the US, but businesses do have to spend extra money on doing things to make sure that um, that that their business is suitable for people with disabilities. So if it if it has an Absolutely. extra cost associated with it, then that's that's just the that's, way that's it is. What I said. That's, that's how what it I should said. be. But this person was arguing that this is basically not they didn't they felt like this was using the disability argument almost too far but anyway this is it this is fascinating because if this if this passes if like if, if they win this case this is opening up a plethora of other cases in this space right like this is where you get to and this is the big difference between plant-based dairy and plant-based meat right because the dairy part and, and it's it's likely one of the reasons plant-based dairy has a much bigger market share and and is is that there is this whole, you know, intolerance, allergy, dietary issue that is very different than like the environmental argument or the ethical argument. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I but, yeah, uh, I mean, if all of a sudden they started coming out that like people were allergic to to meat, which I think there's like random cases of that. For, that, yes, that exists but, but it's, it's not like near. it's not I mean, 60 percent right it's not 60 percent of the population i mean this is and this is what really when i started reading about this case and i saw 60 percent, i started thinking well that's like that's over the majority and so then it becomes why is the majority why are we providing a milk that the majority of the world like why isn't plant-based milk the norm if the majority of the world is lactose intolerant. This is, this is like, yeah, it's crazy going into a t totally different, you can really extend this. So yeah, I absolutely fascinated by this case, just like you and exactly why we, I wanted us to cover it. And, and unsurprisingly, it has not been covered like as much as I thought it would be. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Maybe because it's just like a $5 million lawsuit, which, it's not Dunkin' Donuts. It's literally nothing. It's, it's the it's the verdict. It's like what it's saying. It's the precedent. Uh, yeah. And obviously, American law is all about precedent setting. So it's it's absolutely fascinating, and like I think needs to be watched closely. Um, I really do wonder if it if it will what happens if if they win. I I do too, and honestly, like I I wasn't sure if I would share this story. It'll take two seconds, but like I think it will win because like in the U.S., like if it's if something is. Like if it is determined to be a disability, then like I'd be blown away if it doesn't win because the, the story that I've always heard, I, I know this from a family friend, there's someone that, that has a business. I don't think they do it anymore, but they would literally in Florida, if you had a commercial property in Florida with a pool, that so like that means it was a business and you did not have a lift to put people in and out of the pool if they were like in, in a wheelchair or couldn't get in and out themselves, then that's illegal. You need to have that. So they would they would fly over Florida, different parts, and just take pictures of pools that were commercial businesses that did not have it. They would sue them. They would get the money for it. It always won because that was the law. And it was just as simple as that. So if you're not focusing on giving the adequate rights or 
offerings to people with disabilities, then then you you lose. You lose in court. So like I really think that this has legitimate legs. It's really interesting. I agree. Let's see. But besides that, but no more I don't want to talk about pools anymore or anything. But what did you find interesting? Um, I love the story about Planet A Foods and their round. Um, I I have just I think that they're they're a really fascinating and interesting company and they're they're a company. So they they were one of the first, if not the first in Europe, certainly, um, company to do cocoa free chocolate. So to kind of address the issues of like deforestation and child labor and create and 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 from the get-go, they had a vision to really be very B2B focused and, and create ingredients. And now they're also creating alternate alternative fats. They use a blend of 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 kind of more modern fermentation and, and more traditional fermentation. So it's 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 a mix of different things. Um and and, and it is I've I've tried many of their products and it it it's really impressive what they can do. And so they're really trying to give big big food companies a, an option. And um, when they started, I don't think they knew that that deforestation law that that is has passed in Europe was coming. But obviously, that is going to make things much harder for um, chocolate uh, people selling chocolate because most of you know, a good chunk of the cacao supply chain is linked to deforestation. Um, so that's that's one thing. And of course, the other problem is it's really hard to get away from the child labor. Like just, yeah, we, we have not made as much progress on that, on the ethical supply chain side in, in recent years. So there's just a lot going on with, with the chocolate supply chain. And then on top of that, the last thing is it is being ravaged by climate change, by weather, by extreme weather related events that are caused by global warming. And so we have less cacao positive land, if you will, across the world. And it, I mean, certainly there will also be changes where like different parts of the world will probably become more attractive to cacao growers, but we are, we, there is a supply crunch and it, very similar to coffee. So I think that all these companies that are trying to recreate coffee or, or chocolate are fascinating. And this company, the German company run by two German siblings, Max and Sarah Markart, they're both PhDs. I mean, gosh, their parents really must be so proud. Um, they have just gone from strength to strength. And, and I think they're, a, they're, in a, they're kind of like an example of a company that I feel is like, should be used as like a like an example case, like a great case study because they started out, they they had really good quality investors, strategic partners, they hired good people, they they didn't raise too much, but they raised enough to do what they needed. They've just raised their 15 million A. So like nothing like overly flashy. It's not 15 million. But all along the way, they have reached some some very impressive um, milestones. Like they 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 made sure that they created a production um, supply chain their own in Eastern Europe. They launched with multiple really really uh, big German companies and retailers, and all. So they they did a cereal line with Peter Kohn. They've launched with Lufthansa. They they 
they're they're working with Lint, and now they actually this week they just announced a huge partnership with Reve, the the very very prominent German retailer, where they're actually part of their the the chocolate private label brands of Reve across multiple product categories. So they've just they've just like grown consistently, made progress, hit milestones, continued raising, and just like put their head down and done the work. And I just I just think it's a great example of, of a company to admire and to and to kind of see as an example. No, I think it's a really cool one. And I, I haven't personally tried their 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 chocolate, uh, but I've had others from competitors. And um I I think what I'm always surprised at is how how good they are, to be honest. I, I'm 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 by no means some like chocolate connoisseur, but um there's there's a lot of different spreads in the world that are not chocolate but they're still sweet like i i always bring up like um like nutella for instance where like no not chocolate that's a hazelnut spread and everyone knows it it's not trying to be chocolate but it's really really good but i you can still tell it's not it's not chocolate the ones that are coming from some of these companies are surprisingly like you, you really just can't tell and i think a lot of critics of people of, of companies in this space are taking this approach they always bring up this idea of like super high-end artisanal chocolate and and they say, oh, well, the, the true connoisseurs, the chocolatiers, they can tell that it's not even anywhere close or something like that. And and I'm, I'm speaking in generalities, not specific to Planet A, but um, but my, my head goes, who cares about that that small niche of the world, the, the, the 0.1% who can truly taste the difference between every quality of chocolate? These companies are going to have an impact on deforestation, child labor, sustainability, everything, all of that, by not really caring about that group. They're going to be focusing on the masses. And for the masses, I really think their chocolates are going to appeal. And to your point, you're saying they're, they're expanding into large retailers within Germany. I'm sure going to be expanding elsewhere soon. And then the other companies that are in this space taking that approach, they'll hopefully be doing the same thing. So I think it has legs. I think it has a lot of potential. And um, if the taste is there and, and the price points are there, then it's going to give consumers really no, no reason to, to not, not to switch. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, like Planet A is already doing it. Like they are already having big food companies commit to pilots and scale up and, and launches. And so like you think of the, the impact, right? And, and, and certainly if these products do well with the price of chocolate also going up, right? That's, that's another big difference between chocolate and let's say meat where the price of meat is just, is like artificially low, but the chocolate industry isn't mega subsidized. So chocolate is expensive and it's only going to get more expensive. And the further, the more ethical you, you, you choose to, to buy, the more expensive your chocolate is. So they have an inbuilt pricing advantage that is very interesting as chocolate continues to get more expensive in an era of extreme weather caused by climate change. Yeah, definitely. And, and, I, and I forget, I, I, I'd assume they're going B2B because you talked about them working on private label with yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the retailer. They're not doing their own brand. They are working with, they just came out this week with like Reve has their own chocolate brands in their stores and and Cho Viva, which is the brand of Planet A, like it's their chocolate brand, is is present 
is the ingredient in many of in in some of those products. Very cool. Very cool. Not that not that going B to C or having a brand would be would be bad, but my head just goes to scaling and impact no, 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 and all no, that. And they're, I think they're into scale and impact. They're, I think their goal has always been like, how do we displace the anybody who's in the chocolate market knows that like these big chocolate companies they buy couverture, which are these like huge blocks of commercial chocolate, right? That's like Dutch coke. That's already like it's like Dutch cocoa is like mixed back with the fat, and then you buy these big blocks, and then you use those blocks to make like chocolate bars, truffles, snacks, whatever. And so the idea is to displace that with an alternative. That's that's super cool. And actually, that that reminds me. I, I saw you put up recently a post about you. You got to try the plant based. Uh, was it the lint lint Lindor truffles? I did. <laughs> Thank you to Mike. How was that? Um, Robert at Alwyn Capital, who who like went out of his way to send me this huge package because he knows how much I love those. Um, it's so good. I, I would I would struggle to say that it's different than you know what I remember the yeah to me it tastes exactly like a Lindor the and the dark one is really good and the 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 milk one is really good I I'm, I mean and I love that it's oat it's it, it's interesting to me because I've obviously watched the vegan chocolate movement for a long time because a lot of vegan chocolate came out of the raw vegan chocolate movement and a lot of times. They were using things like coconut um, um, and rice sometimes. But in the last few years, what you've seen is like a lot of the vegan chocolate brands have moved to oat. So especially like in Europe and stuff, a lot of the where there are honestly more options, it's all oat. So it's it seems like oat is is probably like the better the, the better. It seems like it's the choice that works better for vegan chocolate than things like coconut, which is higher in fat. And also it's like a very different um, taste profile. And then almond is, is you know, too, too watery. So it's not easy to find a one for one, right? Chocolate has cacao butter and it has a very specific uh, kind of, you know, fat profile. That is why chocolate is so delicious and luscious. No, definitely, and that's uh, but, but that's that's really cool that it that you have such a positive have positive feedback on on that product, and I definitely got to try it at some point for for sure. All right, well, what's our what's our like positive win of the week? Yeah, positive win of the week is um, it's kind of a, 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 a an extension of what we were talking about last week, where um, there's there's. There's another funding round that happened this week for a plant-based meat startup. I'm going to butcher the name because I'm from the U.S. and I call it Pura. And I know people say Ayura or whatever, but I'm I'm going to ruin it. So that's 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 me doing that. But this company, if you haven't heard of them, they're they're one of the darlings in the space. They they are very impressive. They have a lot of product lines. They've grown um, very well over the years, and they've done it in creative ways that's resonated with consumers and basically it's a plant-based meat company that's from spain and they're doing really well they just raised a, a 40 million euro um series b round so called 43 million us dollars Four, and no, that's a big round 43 million euros 45 46 us oh okay i thought it was okay got it. okay well thank you for that so that's those are the numbers but either way really big 
really, really big. Very big. Um, a legitimate Series B. And I think, again, kind of what we've hit on in the past is 2022 and 2023 were, were tough years. And we definitely did not see this type of uh, funding round in our space and also definitely didn't see it for the plant-based meat space. So um, not saying that all of a sudden plant-based meat is back and everybody's going to be able to raise big, big rounds. But I guess it's, it's, it is a really good example of a positive that for the companies that are executing with a, a focus on fundamentals, they, uh, they're able to raise. Investors are still interested at the later stages. Um, and I, I, I'm not in this round. I don't know the, the specifics of the numbers or their revenues or margins or growth numbers. But um, all I've heard is that they're, they're, it's a good team creating good products that appeal to consumers and they're growing nicely. So I think it's just a really, uh, it's a good thing for the space right now. So it's congrats to, to them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a really, I, I will say, and this is nothing against Ura. Um, I was surprised when I got the news. I mean, it's nothing. I wasn't prepared for like such a big, a nice, healthy, big, you know, normal size series B in plant-based meat um, is eat, reading the headlines that are in mainstream news, uh, which, you know, is, is, is biased. You would get the impression that like no one's interested, but again, it's, it's testament to running a good company. They, the company um, is basically the, the market leader in Spain they have gone into other cu countries. They're in they're in UK, but they're they're apparently doing quite well in France, where they're 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 putting a lot of uh, budget. And they launched a York ham, which is sort of like a sliced ham. Um, the only other really competitor there is Lavi, the French company, whose ham is outstanding um, as well. Uh, so that is a worthy competitor. Um, but they they've they've consistently grown their product portfolio from you know. Uh, starting out with chicken to burgers to sausages um, to ham and also things like fish. Uh, they are very well stocked in food service across some of their markets, but also have strong relationships with retailers. Um, and they've just, you know, steadily grown. And this is a company that's also chosen to do a couple of rounds of crowdfunding. So they haven't always just relied on VC and they, they've, they've, yeah, they have, they've really good comms. They, they, they have some of the iconic campaigns in the space. So yeah, go team. It's, it's a really good signal to the market that if you have a strong company and you're executing and the good investors back you, and one of their investors is Upfield, a major, that's a major win. So, and some of their earlier investors came back. So I, yeah, lots of good signals. So a good one to end on. Um, well, definitely we'll see everyone next week. And uh, remember, share the podcast and thanks for listening. All right. I'll see you next week.